I'd like to ask you to turn with me to a different place than our passage for our study today. We will be turning eventually to Romans 15, but right now I'd like to ask you to turn to Mark chapter 10 in your Bible. Turn over to Mark because we have a wonderful example of the most wonderful leader that ever walked on the face of the earth, and his followers had problems, believe it or not. The disciples of Jesus Christ were ones that bickered a little bit. And we find a wonderful lesson in Jesus Christ when two people, James and John, have an idea. It's a self-serving idea, and they voice it to Jesus Christ and make a request. And when the rest of the apostles hear about it, they got hot. They were upset. Let me just set it up a little bit for us before we read a few verses in Mark chapter 10. What was going on was that James and John, these two wonderful servants of the Lord, they went to Jesus and they said, hey, master, is it possible that you would grant us something, whatever we ask, that you would let us have that? And Jesus says, well, what do you want? And it's at that point that James and John say, would you let myself and my brother be number one and number two in your kingdom, if it's not too much to ask? Now, when they ask this question to Jesus Christ, he gives an interesting response. But what I want to point us to today is how the rest of the apostles responded and also the lesson that Jesus taught that will apply very easily to our passage. Look with me in Mark 10, starting in verse 41, which is when we find the reaction. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be saved, or not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Very clearly, Jesus says if one of you is going to be great, it's going to involve you stooping. Stooping down to serve someone else, and not someone else that is worthy of being served. I love how Christ points them to this picture. And that's exactly how the Apostle Paul is going to end his time teaching through the main lesson of the book of Romans. We started uh, several months ago with our study in Romans, and we said from the beginning that this letter was written to the church at Rome to address a problem that was going on. There was conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul doesn't just fix their problem for them outright. Instead, he gives them a plan that they can apply for the rest of their lives as they are with a body of believers. And so he completes his teaching on how the churches have deal with conflict. Hopefully, I'm not confusing anybody by saying he completes his teaching. We're only in chapter 15, and Romans has how many chapters? 16. 
We will be spending a couple more times in Romans, but really it's just, um, just some recognitions at the end, some postscript, and there's another wonderful challenge in there about unity as well. But when we come to the end of our verses today, which is verse 15 of Romans 15, that is really the end of the body of the message of the book of Romans. And so how is Paul going to wrap this up? Well, first of all, I believe that he wants to wrap this up by giving us a summary of the previous chapter in just the first two verses. He's going to tell us that strong Christians are obligated to help the weak And not only obligated to help the weak, but to do the heavy lifting when resolving conflicts. That might sound surprising to us. But there is an obligation. There is something that has been put on the shoulders of these individuals that would lead in a church. Now, we've talked about conscience a bit, haven't we? And we have seen that a strong conscience does not necessarily mean a strong faith. Someone might have very strong convictions about something. They might have standards that they would call high standards. But if it's not supported by the Scripture, then it's really not a strong faith. And that's where we can get into problems. And so for these that need help, the weak, he calls them, we wrap up the idea of how how they can be specifically helped with the first two verses of chapter 15. Look at it with me. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, if you weren't here for our study last time, let me remind you of what was said about these individuals who had a, a, a conscience to not do something that really wasn't clear in the Bible. If we want to insist that those weaker brethren, as Paul calls them, if we want to insist that they do what we tell them to do, that is a terrible road for us to send them down because if they do what's against their conscience, they are actually sinning. Remember that? So if they go against their conscience, that is sin. Paul has been very clear about. But what about for the strong believer? Can the strong believer set aside some liberties and not practice those without sinning? Absolutely. And so the obligation is on the strong believer here to help with the weaknesses of the weak. Who is obligated? To do this, in a church assembly, there has to be men and women that will step up to lead in many different areas. And it is sad when people will not. There was a cute story that I heard years ago that illustrates this point fairly well. There's a little boy in a barber shop. He wasn't super excited about getting his hair cut. And so when his turn came and he climbed up in the barber chair, the barber tried to break the ice a little bit. And he asked this question. He said, who do you want to be like when you grow up, little boy? And the boy made a funny face. And he said, ain't nobody I want to be like. And that's kind of interesting, but it's also kind of sad, isn't it? That that boy wouldn't have anybody that he'd observed that he wanted to be like. 
What's even more sad is when people spend time in a church assembly and they've not connected with someone that they want to be like. A strong believer, one that sets love so strong in what they do that it even overshadows liberty. And how sad when there is a void of leadership. We need men, we need women to lead in specific areas. Now, if we love someone enough, they're going to be open to talking about these issues. But you can't lead with your differences. You can't come and say, well, you don't know the Bible as well as I do, so let's talk about our differences. You can't do that. Don't do that. But if you will show them love, if they know you genuinely love them, they're open to a conversation about this. They're happy to talk with you. They're happy to study the Bible with you about that. Now, what if, what if you and I were, were writing this instruction here? What might we do? If we have a conflict between the weak people who aren't applying the Scriptures correctly, it's not a salvation issue, it's not a doctrine issue, it's an opinion issue, but they're going too far with their opinion. And if there's an issue between those people, the weak and the strong, who are interpreting the Scriptures correctly, and we're going to write them a letter of instruction, who might we show preference to? I I know what my thought is. Well, clearly the people that are correct on their interpretation of God's Word, they're the ones that we're going to show preference to here. That's not what Paul does. The Apostle Paul very clearly says, you who are strong, no, he says, we who are strong. We have an obligation to bear up the failings of the weak. When we use use those words, bear up, do not get in mind that they're just bearing with They're just, you know, just waiting, waiting for that person to finish with their foolishness. That's not the idea, but it is to lift them up. It is to carry them, take part of that burden off of them and carry them along. That's what he's saying here. And the responsibility clearly falls on the shoulders of leaders. We want to tell those who are weak, get with the program. Come on. I learned that when I was eight years old. You're still arguing about that? Ridiculous. That's probably what I would have said if I was writing to the believers in Rome. And aren't we all glad that I wasn't writing to the believers in Rome? Paul says, you who are strong, this is what you must do. Have you ever seen a good picture of this? Have you had opportunity to observe Someone who set aside his liberties or someone where love constantly came from their lips and constantly came from their actions. The Apostle Paul is going to point us to the best example of this right now. Christ illustrates how to help the weak. And he did that by setting aside his own privileges. Christ is our example. Jesus is not going to simply tolerate man, but with you and I, he is going to bear us up. And when he's doing that, what Christ is going to do is he is going to set aside all of the privileges of heaven. Have you ever thought about that idea 
of what Christ left for you and me? There was no pain up there in heaven. He was God. He could hear the singing and He was worshipped. It was a beautiful thing going on all the time. And Jesus Christ set aside all of heaven to lift us up. Not just to tolerate, but to help us become something better. Let's look starting in verse number th- verse 3. For Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Verse number 4 and verse number 13 are both going to point us to hope. The hope that we must have if we're going to walk through this dark and weary world. Verse number 4 there says, Everything that has been written has been written to give us hope. Now, when this letter was written, there was very few letters um, in the New Testament that were completed. So what's he referring to? He's referring to the Old Testament. Everything that has been written has been written there to give you hope. And then in verses 5 through 7, I think he's telling us to, to keep the future in mind. We have to keep the end game in mind with every step of the way when we interact with others. And in the end, we are to be doing everything to the glory of God. For them specifically, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And that's going to help us to keep that in mind. Uh, A wonderful practice that you can start, if you haven't already, is when you're having a disagreement or a debate with somebody, something that you can do is you can make sure you're on the same page with both being followers of Jesus Christ. I've had this experience. I've stopped someone and I've said, hold on a second. And we've taken turns sharing our salvation testimony. My salvation testimony, I grew up in church, but my dad's and my uncle's is quite a bit more colorful. So I will share that. And then I'll ask that person to share their testimony with me. To be honest, sometimes just doing that can solve your problem. Keeping the end in mind. We are going to be neighbors forever in heaven. So let's get off on a good foot right now. Let's treat each other in the best possible way now. Live in harmony. Imagine yourself singing with them in that heavenly choir. And you got to have all the parts working. I have to believe there will be more than four parts in heaven. I think God's able to do that, don't you? And you're going to be doing your part to bring glory to God, singing along with them. Paul was consistent with this idea that those in churches needed, must make it a priority 
to get along, to deal with problems. He wrote to the church of Philippi in verses 1 and 2 of Philippians 2, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. I think that children can teach us well when it comes to this area. How many of you have learned good lessons from children? They speak the truth in love, don't they? If you have opportunity to observe a a child's class here at Calvary or anywhere else, really, there is kind of a default answer that a lot of kids give when they don't know the answer. They might not know it, but they're going to have the best percentage at getting it right if they give this one-word answer. Some of you know what I'm going to say, probably. The question gets asked by the teacher, little Tommy, do you know the answer? And they say, "Uh, Jesus, just like that. I'm going to let you know that you have the best percentage of a chance at getting it right if you will default by acting like Jesus. How patient Christ is with us and how beautiful that he teaches his followers this lesson. You need to be like me, he, ta- he told them in, Matthew, or in Mark chapter 10. And this is why you and I must be constantly getting to know Christ better. I spend time daily in my daily devotions, I spend time going through one of the Gospels. It's mixed with the rest of the New Testament, but I, my, the point is, is I am always, always thinking about Jesus, studying about Jesus, looking at what he did. When we look at the Gospels, that needs to be so close to our heart, so we must be constantly getting to know Christ better. Now, in verse number seven, he said something that's interesting because he said that he wants them in the church to welcome others as Jesus welcomed you. What does that mean, as Jesus welcomed you? I want to let you know that when God saved me, it wasn't that he made a trip around the world and he looked down to Danville, Illinois, and he saw Jeremy Lazell, and he said, holy smokes, look at that gem down there. I've got to have that one in my family. Hey, angels, get old, look, look, look at this one down here. We've got to add this one to the family. He deserves it. This guy is gold. Now, those of you who have gotten to know me know that's not true at all, right? And when God looked at me, he saw a sinner. He saw one that was his enemy. And Jesus Christ loved me when I did not deserve it. And he loved you when you did not deserve it. And Paul tells us in verse 7, you need to receive everybody else like Jesus receives you. How do we, or why do we do all this? Why? Why should we do this? I can get along just fine without this. Well, Paul closes this time of talking about unity in the church basically by saying, I've been telling you this all along. For centuries, I've been telling you this. It's not just the Jews that it's about. 
And it's not just that the Gentiles get preference either. I've been trying to tell you guys this for years. You see, the Word of God, we can follow back and see that God started with Abraham. And God would tell Abraham, and God would tell the rest of the patriarchs, you are going to be something special that will be a blessing to the entire world, to all nations. He's been saying it from the beginning. Just a, a quick illustration of this. One of, the, one of the things that stands out to me when I read through Exodus and the life of, of Moses is when God talked to Moses, they had been delivered from slavery, and now they're down there, and the first chance they got, they made a golden calf. Do you guys remember this? They made the golden calf, and it's a horrible scene that's described there. And when we look at that, if you pay attention to the conversation between God and Moses, it seems like Moses is being pretty bold. In that story, we find that God says something to this effect. Why don't we just start over? Let's wipe all of them out, and Moses, you can be my guy. If you remember what Moses says back, you'll understand this point, this coming very, very well. Because what Moses does is he repeats back to God the promises that God had made. If you want to be confident that you're praying in the will of God, pray Scripture. Moses prays back to God, you promised Abraham, and so you cannot kill these people even though they've turned from you. God has been saying from the beginning, unity among my people has always been my plan. Look with me in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. There's a song for everyone that God wants to be sang. Now, it varies a little bit. If you look there, it gives something specific that the Jews can sing about. The Jews specifically sing that God kept His promise. Some of us know Jews that are following Jesus Christ today. They call themselves fulfilled Jews or completed Jews. So the Jews rejoice because, God's, because of God's truthfulness. Do you see the word there that describes why the Gentiles rejoice? They rejoice because of His mercy. Just a few chapters ago in Romans 11, we talked about how, how God is going to graft in the, Genti the Gentiles with the Jews. Something beautiful and amazing. And when we look at that and we see everyone has a song to sing, but it's a little bit different between the Jews and the Gentiles. 
And for those of you who are students of the Old Testament, you'll see in, in these verses here that he quotes from the three different sections of the Old Testament. And this is why we must constantly be getting to know the entirety of God's word better. I challenge you to before to be studying the life of Christ, but we cannot neglect the Old Testament. I think every Christian should have at one point in their life read through, read through the entire Bible. And I know many of you do it regularly. I did not read verse 13. Let's look at that. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound. So here's the second time he talks about hope. The first time that hope comes when we read God's word from the scriptures. And now he says it comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a prayer for Paul to tell them, press on, keep moving forward, don't give up, you guys can do this, keep the end game in mind, and God is going to give you the hope that you need. And that takes us to what we can do with a passage like this. First of all, from verses 4 and 13, fuel your hope from the scriptures And fuel the hope that carries you in this world from the power of the Holy Spirit displayed in your life. If you know someone that is hurting, there's a good chance they need you to remind them of hope. Show them the hope that you have because of what God has done for you. And if they don't know Jesus, you can introduce them. And if they know Christ, remind them from the Scriptures why they can have hope. And pray that the great comforter, the Holy Spirit, would make that hope clear. The next application is just for the strong. And basically, it is this, just this. Step up and lead. How sad it is for someone to spend time and not connect with another that they want to be like when they mature. We need brothers and we need sisters that are leading the weak. We need men that will lead their families. We need men that will lead the church. And we need individuals that will be stepping up on the mantle of leadership. And as we have already seen from our Lord Jesus Christ, to step up to lead means you're going to be stooping down, washing their feet, slave to all, is what Christ said. And then for the weak, let me challenge you to move on from the milk to the meat of the word. We all, if we're followers of God, should be in God's word, and there should be a progression. I was talking to a friend this past week, and they were sharing with me about a Bible study they're having with some other ladies. And as she talked through the big problems that these ladies had, and as I was trying to assess all this, my first thought popped out of my mouth, which sometimes is a mistake, and I don't think this time it was. But I told her, I said, I think it sounds like your friends need to get the milk of the word. They're trying to apply, they're trying to jump into all these deep issues and difficult things in life and apply Romans 8.28 when they don't even have a discipline of the Bible and prayer and testimony established in this world. They need to first 
have the foundation that the Word of God is the base for everything that we do and everything that we say. And then you build on top of that. They didn't even establish in the right place. And you need to be established, have this right foundation, and then move on from the milk to the meat. Through this study, it's been so challenging for me because there's so many personal failings that I have seen. When uh, Tina and I were first married, I uh, fancied myself to have some pretty high standards. In fact, my standards were so high that when we got married, and no longer are they two, but now they are one, that's what that old guy up front said about us, they're one now. I had some pretty high standards. In fact, she brought some music CDs into the marriage that I didn't care for too much. In fact, I, I, I remember. I remember that season in life, and she remembers it better than I do. <laughs> when I said, oh, these will not do. These, no, no, we're not going to have these in our home. And I wanted to lead my family, and I wanted to do well. And I, I threw away those CDs. Yeah. A lesson that God was able to teach me through that time. I can almost hear the words of God today if I strain hard enough. Tina is not you. In church family, when we move to help someone else, we have to keep that in mind. We have to keep in mind that we're not going to turn them into us because that's not who God wants them. I can, I can hear the words of the Holy Spirit in my ears today where he is saying, Jeremy, you're trying to turn her into you, the image of Jeremy, and I want her to look like the image of Jesus Christ. And that's going to help us in our church family. Not to just get them to agree with you, to give in, to wear them down, or to bear with it for a while, but to lift them up and to help them become more like the image of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul goes back to the beginning. He starts with the foundation of our faith. Every one of us equally sinners. Every one of us that are saved equally forgiven. And then he talks about Abraham the patriarch, the beginning, and then it goes on to all the Jews and how God uses them, and then God grafts in the Gentiles. And then for you and I today, he wants us to be applying this principle, not to create a whole bunch of little Jeremy's or a whole bunch of little Susie's, but to create people in the image of Christ, and that's when the church, the church will flourish. How wonderful that God allows us to be more like him and how wonderful that he allows us to grow and to help somebody else maybe even be greater than ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you for your love for us. We praise you, Heavenly Father, for counting the cost and giving your son we thank you for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We thank you for how he trained his disciples. And he said, if you guys are going to be great, you're going to have to serve. 
And Heavenly Father, that is your plan for your church today. And so would you allow us to have harmony? Would you allow us, Heavenly Father, to move forward, not just trying to get people to be like us, but trying to get people to be like Christ? We thank you for the change that you made in our lives so many years ago, that we have reason to rejoice. And we thank you for the hope that sustains us. May the hope that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit displayed in our walks each day, may that, give, may that sustain us. And the hope that we get from your word, may that be so sweet and so regular to us. I want to give you an opportunity to pray this morning. While the piano plays through, you might want to pray about something that Paul talked about in that letter. It's my experience that sometimes God speaks to people in ways that I wasn't even intending. That's the Holy Spirit working. Maybe pray about what God's laid on your heart. You might be here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. That means that you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven and you can have hope in this world if you will simply confess your sins to God and ask him to forgive you. You can do that right now.